I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus. We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity. We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling. We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre-made container. So join us for our meanderings as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to this episode of Coffee with the Pastors, the podcast. As we uh, always start our podcast with the great question of where have you seen God recently? Audrey, consider it. Where have you seen God recently? Well, maybe able to tell by our voices in our nasally sound that both of us are struggling with colds. Always. And that's because we've got the latest daycare cold coming through our house right now. And I think that all played into my God moment this week and that Ira, who is only nine months old, also had the cold. And I think he was struggling to breathe and that on top of some teething. He had about 24 hours where he was in a milk strike. He wouldn't nurse. He wouldn't drink from a bottle. I could not figure out what to do. He ended up in the urgent care, a little dehydrated. And uh, I was so stressed out about how long this was going to (laughs) take. And then in the middle of the night, after he had been, he'd gone over 12 hours without drinking any milk, an unexpected thunderstorm came. Mm. And I love thunderstorms. <laughs> and so I, in a strange way, it just felt like a, a moment where God was telling me, it's going to be okay. It's it's strange that a thunderstorm would communicate that to me, but it's something that I really enjoy. I, I remember thinking in the moment, maybe this is God saying it's going to be okay. And then that, that morning when I woke up, Ira finally nursed after revolting for 24 hours. So mm-hmm. so rather than Jesus calming the storm, Jesus sends the storm. And Audrey's to like, calm me. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. What about you, Tim? What's your God moment? Well, I was thinking about this. I'm, I'm kind of new to this world of uh, spiritual direction, but I've got a spiritual director now for like six months or so. And it's just been such a good habit and a discipline to just set that time aside each month to consider the question of uh, what is God doing? How is God moving in my life right now? What's God calling my attention to? And during that that hour, it's just regular that God tends to show up to console or to confront, you know, all in that space. And that's just been a really good, a good space to notice. Well, today we're doing our third and final week in our series on Brethren Ordinances. And we'll be taking a closer look at Love Feast and Communion. Uh, So for some of our non-Brethren listeners, um, you might know Communion, but not necessarily Love Feast. In the Brethren world, the practice of Communion often uh, in communities exclusively takes place in the context of Love Feast. And that's why we're lumping these two together. Some congregations will do Communion on Sunday morning outside of Love Feast, but initially for the brethren, it was only within the context of Love Feast. So Tim, why don't you walk us through 
functionally what the four movements of the love feast look like. Sure, yeah. As Audrey mentions, there's four movements to a typical love feast service. Those are a time of confession, feet washing, the agape or fellowship meal, and communion, bread and cup. And those those can look different depending on which community you're you're participating in, but generally what happens is uh, the gathered body will uh, gather either in the sanctuary or in a fellowship hall, meal space, uh, and begin with this time of confession. There might be a series of scriptures, prayers, maybe a, a short reflection from someone about our uh, our need to to confess to God before we come into this uh, holiest of places for, mm-hmm. for brethren. Leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled, uh, and then you can come and participate in this mm-hmm. in this worship. After be after having this confession, after reconciling, we move into this space of feet washing. Sometimes this is a time where genders will split. Men will wash men's feet, women wash women's feet. Uh, sometimes this is blended all together and you just pass the bucket around the table, uh, washing one another's feet. Each person washes, each person is washed. Uh, there's usually just enough soap in the water to make you feel like this might be doing something. Uh, but really, it's not about being having your feet clean. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more about that here in a minute. <laughs> uh, after feet washing, we sanitize our hands yes, before, we, uh, before we enjoy a meal together. Simple, often simple, often simple foods. Uh, some churches will do simple soups. Some do... Uh, uh, something called a sop, which is like a beef broth that's served over bread. And the bread sops up. Right. <laughs> it gets uh, soggy soggy bread. But, you know, it's really interesting. All, all these churches that we've done this with uh, have different foods and different mm-hmm. options, and they think it's the tradition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everybody it's the right way this. to do it. <laughs> um, but everybody's different. Uh-huh. Uh, we grew up with this really nice, simple beef barley soup. Mm, uh, delicious. That was just simply flavored, you know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I have fond memories of that. But everybody's been different. Mm-hmm. But the point is that it's a simple fellowship meal. Mm-hmm. And then the service ends with a time of uh, communion, bread and cup, with prayers uh, f- for each, and then the receiving of these elements usually at the table right. uh, with one another, not coming forward and dunking the bread and the juice, uh, not being facilitated exclusively by uh, the pastor, but enjoyed at the table together. So those are the four movements, and each of these movements is based off of a piece of scripture. You already referenced the confession scripture Mm -hmm. um, that you should leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to a brother or sister before entering a moment of worship. That's why we start with confession. And certainly also the Matthew 18 text about reconciling to one another is pretty central to yeah. to brethren faith life, and so that resonates there too. Right. Yeah, sometimes we read one or both of those texts as a part of that confession. And then the feet washing, of course, comes from the Gospel of John, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. In chapter 13, starting at verse 12, he says, After he had washed their feet, had put on the robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. 
So here's where we get the kind of ordinance mm-hmm. language again. You should do this. You should do this because I, I did this, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's where we get this compelling sense that we should also practice this mm-hmm. as a community. The meal is really modeled after the Last Supper with the disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we often do Love Feast on Monday Thursday as that moment in Holy Week that remembers this last experience with the disciples. Mm-hmm. And then ends with communion, which also took part in this. Yeah, inaugurated at the Last Supper, and clearly becomes a practice that the early church continues to commemorate. Yeah, so in 1 Corinthians, we get kind of Paul's retelling of the institution of the what they he calls the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I receive from the Lord what I also hand on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Ordinance language. Mm -hmm. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, all, all of these practices have within them, in the scripture, this sense of ordinance that, you should do this, or it would be good if you did this. I've modeled this for you. Each of those movements have that component in the scripture, which is why we do it. And because, practically speaking, the feet washing, the meal, and communion all happened together in the Last Supper, we did them together as a kind of commemoration of this kind of sacred moment. And the confession then just prepares us to to receive all of that. And yeah, Love Feast has become one of the hallmarks, really, of of being a part of the Church of the Brethren. It's a it's unique practice and habit, unfamiliar in, in many places. Uh, there are some other traditions that practice it. Yeah, uh, they'll practice the, the feet washing. Uh-huh. Um, certainly all Christian denominations, I think, practice communion in some fashion. Right. Yeah, so some of these elements are not completely foreign. We just bring them all together. Right, yeah. and then and because of that, and because of how they're put in a communal sense, each of them has a little bit, again, different nuance when, when practiced, either in accompaniment to each other or just with a brethren lens. So yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about why each of these is a little weird. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so we start with uh, the confession time at the very beginning of the service. This is maybe the most disjointed from the reenactment of the Last Supper. So why do we add this time of confession at the beginning? Well, originally, so again, with the scripture was this idea that you should reconcile before entering into this sacred moment and and originally it was the practice that the deacons of the church kind of the caregivers Mm -hmm. would be kind of how i would describe a deacon they would go around to the different families in the congregation and make sure that they were in their hearts prepared for this service and that could be a personal um, maybe they are struggling with some kind of spiritual problem. Sure. It, there's also this component of, are you at peace with your brothers and sisters in this congregation? You need to reconcile with anyone that you might have a problem with right. before you enter into this sacred moment. And so the encouragement was, don't come to Love Feast if you are in some kind of argument or fight with a brother or sister because you cannot be in the appropriate headspace and spiritual space to practice this 
communal worship if you are not at at peace with a brother or sister. Yeah, we might have to cancel Love Feast if enough people aren't in the right spiritual place to do this, right? right? Yeah. Which is really interesting because the concept, I mean, this concept of confession in in many traditions is tied to purity and personal purity. Right. Right. I make sure I am in a good place to go up and receive the the communion elements or right. something like this. But that that's a piece of this, but this is really more than just about you personally. Right. This is about the health of the body, right. right? We're looking at all of us gathered together as being the body of Christ. And this moment, the Lord's Supper, is our opportunity to imitate as close as we can get to the body of Christ. So let's make sure we are able to do it right. Right, right? yep. And we've lost some measure of that, I think, over the years. And um, in some faith communities, this time of confession gets shorter and shorter and maybe less significant, right? right? Uh, And just cast away at the beginning of the service. But I find it a really helpful time. And some of the most meaningful expressions of the love feast take place after the community or me personally have taken that time seriously right which clearly to me uh, reveals how significant it it is for us so this takes place first Mm -hmm. and then that moves us into the feet washing time let's talk a little bit about the meaning of feet washing. sure yeah why we do feet washing yes we do it because it's ordered in scripture and we're uh, imitating jesus in john 13 but why does Jesus do it? In his world, it's a practice of hospitality, that a servant might uh, wash the feet of guests in the home. It's certainly service for that person. Um, but when Jesus does it, he's not the servant, he's the master, right? And he's doing this act that traditionally would not have been the responsibility of, of the rabbi, the master. And so this is a demonstration of radical upside-down love. Mm -hmm. This is a demonstration of uh, humility that if I, your Lord and Master, would be willing to do this, then you all, none of you should think of yourselves as so highly that you can't also get down and wash one another's feet. Right. So this is like a leveling of the play field, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, in the body of Christ. Yeah. And so for, for us to do this for one another raises up one another, lessens ourselves, puts us in a better spirit of community. And I cannot count how many times in my own experience of Love Feast that either I end up sitting next to or partnered up with someone that I am having a hard time with. (laughs) And so the very act of having to wash that person's feet or to have to receive their act of service and washing my feet is a convicting experience sure uh, you you it humanizes them a, a, again when conflict often puts that person in a a distance from you uh, in, in a in a heart sense in a spiritual sense and so that this humanizes them again there was one particular time where we I ended up sitting next to someone I had quarreled with just a little bit earlier uh, in the week, and before we even got through the act of feet washing, we were both in tears because we knew this was a moment when uh, there a reconciling uh, thing was happening. So it's like the confession might break open your heart to even be able to experience a reconciling moment in the act feet of washing. feet washing. One question that 
I've thought about time and time again related to feet washing is just how foreign a concept it is for folks that are new to the Church of the Brethren, new to the love feast experience. You know, in Jesus's time, this was a familiar, a common expression. Yes, it was reserved for servants and slaves to do, but it was at least familiar. You had your feet washed. That's that's a good thing. It's a it didn't hospitable feel as thing. Vulnerable then, because it was common. Yeah, and today the issue with feet washing is because we got this thing about feet, right? Feet are dirty, dirty, and we don't. This just is weird. It's just odd. It's strange, and and so yeah, there's still that connotation then that this is also going to be uh, humbling and and vulnerable. But I've wondered, is there a pr another practice out there that might reveal these same kind of meetings, upside down love? humility, service, hospitality, but that wouldn't just be strange right. in today's world. Because it would have been mundane. Right. And what would have been startling is is someone that you're calling Lord putting themselves in a very mundane service-oriented practice. Right, right. I, I... So what's mundane today that we would not expect someone of authority someone that might have power to humble themselves and do. You wonder, you know, is there something else out there that would communicate this? And I think the fact that the brethren are still doing it this way is we've not found, we've yeah. not found a practice. Well, not that it's universal. I remember yeah. talking with, uh, with a couple EMTs one time about, uh, how surprised they might be if it's like the doctor doing the work of the CNA, mm. right? The doctor takes the person to the bathroom and, and does that kind of dirty job, right. right? But it's so particular in a in a certain field. It's right. not a universal... It's not a household practice Yeah, that, that would have been yeah more universal. So until we find a better one, we're just going to keep scrubbing feet. It's the best we got. That's the best we got. <laughs> yeah. So we turn to the next, the next movement in the service is this mealtime. And I want to ask you, Audrey, this mealtime, it's different than what a church might have at their potluck or what you might have at your house with a dinner party with friends. How is it different? Well, we sometimes we talk about the meal being a double meal in that you're feasting on the food in front of you, but you're also feasting on the fellowship. You're mm. being nourished by the time spent. And that's something that can happen anytime you're having a meal, but we make sure that is a particular emphasis right. when we're feasting during love feasts. You are just as much being nourished by the food as you are the company. And that's why the meal is often more intentionally simple so that you can highlight this other part of the nourishment happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, we sometimes miss that point because we've put so much focus into the traditional foods right. that we hype that up, at least in our minds, even if it is intentionally bland or simple, right? We've hyped it up. That yeah, this is what it's about. This is the only simple meal that you can <laughs> Exactly. Offer. And, and any, I think any pastor that has you know, been in multiple contexts or any brethren person that has moved to different churches will say each church has their own expression of what this simple meal is and each one thinks that they have done it the exact right way. That's right. And and as soon as they do that, they miss the point they of the double the feast, yes. right? That you're to do this together. But the other interesting thing that I found in, in just looking at the camaraderie at the table, less about the food, the camaraderie at the table, is I've seen that done 
in such starkly different ways. I've been at Love Feast where there is no talking at the table. Where Very solemn. It's like it's like the, the time of the meal you are to be reflecting on Christ, the suffering of Christ, the anticipation of of the rest of the Holy Week experience or something something like that. And so nobody's talking. I've been at the complete opposite where it doesn't feel like there's any difference between the camaraderie at the table at love feast and what might be the potluck on a normal Sunday after church when you're talking about uh, what your kids or grandkids are doing, the concert you just went to, um, the weather, right? W whatever it might be, just normal kind of dinner party conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that at its best, it's either one right. of those I think extremes. There's a, there's a middle ground in there that is more intentionally community forming conversation around the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm fine with them talking about whatever concert they went to if it's an opportunity to get to know one another. Sure. And and so sometimes we've offered particular questions to discuss during that meal time so that it's guided the the hard part then is that we go from the dinner to the next movement which is more solemn and so they need to be able to transition from this table conversation into communion in a meaningful way we also try to get people to end love feast in an attitude a reflective attitude and so that that meal time can't be so like every other fellowship opportunity that you can't kind of come back into the fact that you this whole thing is an embodied worship experience <laughs> so it has to kind of you know have a particular type of conversation but yes conversation is just as much a part of the meal time as the food you are yeah. eating. Yeah, you're fostering relationships, yes. right, in the conversations you're going to have. And we want that to be the case, right? I think. Yes. You're fostering the body of Christ and the relationships therein right. when you're doing this thing. So we already hinted at the fact that this this meal moves into what is more traditionally called the Lord's Supper, right. which is communion. Right. And so you, you eat this meal together and then you move into communion. Now, for the brethren, if you practice communion other times, this might look a little different in that oftentimes the bread, the communion bread, is intentionally double. The practice is more so than in the sanctuary where there's some logistical issues possibly with doing it this way. In love feast, it's double length so that you can hold it with the person next to you and literally break the bread together. There's a, a intentional uh, embodiment of the broken body of Christ that is both in breaking the bread, but in doing it with the person you're sitting with. Because this is not just communion that I myself am receiving. Right. Each component of love feast from the moment of confession to the moment of communion is intentionally done yeah. communally. Yeah, whose communion is this? Is this my communion with God as I take in the elements of, of bread and cup? No, once again, this is a communion of all of us becoming the body of Christ, right? And, and our communion with Christ then. And I think what, what is always so beautiful to me about the love feast and it being this the, the best example of how to both worship and live as the body of Christ is that each 
kind of each moment has this acceptance of the fact that the body is broken, mm-hmm. that the body is not whole. And and we think about that, especially in, in when Love Feast is on Monday, Thursday, because we're in Holy Week, we're preparing ourselves for the death of Christ on the cross the very right. next day. And so we're we're thinking about Jesus's body about to be broken in a very uh, real sense. But when we ourselves are trying to show how we are the body of Christ in each of these movements, we accept that as the body of Christ, we are not perfect and that the body is broken and we still need to do the hard work as a community in Christ to address that brokenness, to heal that brokenness, because we're also on the way to resurrection. Right. And so there is something of life and of goodness, even though the body of Christ is broken. Yeah. We've covenanted to be together in that brokenness. And we've, uh, to me, brethren are at their best when we take that call really seriously. Yeah. Right. And we're pursuing that wholeness of the body um, with with all we have and with diligence and with intention, uh, looking more to the, to the other than to ourselves. So I, I've said before, if brethren had a high holy day... <laughs> Sure. It would be the practice of love feast because it is one of those those times where if you have truly allowed yourself to enter the space, the sacred is so accessible because in each of the practices, it, it's an experiential worship in, in a way that sometimes our other worships can be more passive and and consumed. There is nothing passive about love feast because you yourself do each of the activities. Yeah. I hope this episode focusing on Love Feast hits many of you right before uh, the traditional Maundy Thursday expression of the Love Feast in your local congregation. I hope this aids in your reflection and participation in that high holy day. <laughs> and thank you for joining us on this exploration of the Love Feast. We welcome feedback and further conversation. If you'd like to reach out to us, feel free to message us at coffeewiththepastorspodcast at gmail.com. Next time, we are excited for our first Popcorn with the Pastors feature. We will welcome guest hosts Nathan Hollenberg and Andy Duffy as we look at Christian responses to pop culture. So until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors. Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization. In this podcast, references were made to the following resources. For All Who Minister, a worship manual for the Church of the Brethren published by Brethren Press. Love Feast and Communion information from www.brethren.org practices. The sign-off quote is from Christopher Sowers Printing Press. Check out any of these things for more information.